Have you ever tried to accomplish uh, something, uh, and the more you tried to accomplish it, the, the harder it got, it got more involved, it got, uh, it, everything seemed to be going wrong, you know, start off with a flat tire, and next thing you know, it's two tires, and then, you know, the engine's missing out, and, and then you wreck it on the way to, it's just, everything's messed up. I, I, I know in life we have these situations, and, and, and I want to talk about that. We kind of talked about that last week, and we want to finish up on that as we do our series, continue on, It's Not Over series. This past week, my daughter uh, uh, got a little some bedroom um, furniture, and she wanted to just kind of dress it up a little bit, asked me if I'd help her put a little shelf in. Uh, just like, you know, put some plants on, things like that. I said, well, uh, uh, sure, we'll, we'll do that. And so we uh, found that one stud, you know, you got to find your studs. And uh, so we found that one stud and, and everything's going good. And we hung the brace up. And, and uh, so I went down thinking that, you know, two foot, you know, we'll have another stud. Uh, and I'm putting holes all over the wall and there's no stud. And so now we got a bunch of empty holes in the wall, and we have nothing to hang the brace on. So I pull out my trusty stud finder. Come on. Sometimes my, my, my wife has asked me, uh, where's the stud finder? And I'm like, he's here. He's right. <laughs> you found him. The stud has been found. And uh, anyway, I, it, the batteries were going low and all this kind of stuff. And so it's going, it's going berserk, and I can't seem to find Finally find the stud, uh, and we put the brace up there, and I got the holes just right. We go to get the drill, the electric drill, and it goes, and it just stops. It's just dead. It's dead in the doornail. The other battery's dead. Now I have to go old school, like who goes old school, right? I, I got to get a real screwdriver. This is insane. Who uses a real screwdriver? anymore. You're not a man if you use a real screwdriver. So I hand in my man card, go grab, get this uh, screwdriver, and, uh, and it's got the wrong tip on it, and it's stripping the, 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 the screw out, and, and it's just like, this is, shouldn't be this hard. It's like an in and out thing. It's like, shouldn't be no problem. And, and uh, finally, we get the, the thing up, and, and, and we go to get the, 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 the board to put on top the shelf, and only to find it's not long enough. It's too short. The board is too short for the braces, and we, so we have to stop and postpone the project. It's just one thing after another, and I think sometimes in life, we come against these seasons or times where there's just resistance around us, you know, and, and you're trying to break through, and you feel like you have a God-sized dream. You feel like God put something on your heart. You feel like this is the right direction to be moving in, but you're running out of money, and you're running out of options, and running out of resources, and you're getting weary, and you're getting anxious, and you're getting tired, and, and, and you just, man, you're just in this place of frustration, well, I, wanna, I want us to come, kind of talk to you uh, together for a few minutes about this thing called resistance. Now, I just want to review just for a few moments before we finish up the rest of it. Last week, we talked about how resistance is inevitable. You're going to have resistance in your life. It just happens. In fact, the word resistance in the dictionary says this. It is a fixed body which interrupts, stops, repels or defeats progress. That's what resistance is. It defeats progress. Mm. 
And so we find that we have these seasons in our life when the forces are pushing us backwards when we're trying to go forward. Secondly, we realize that resistance comes in various forms. Sometimes it's people. It's people, sometimes even well-meaning people, speaking into our lives things that probably are, are not true or are resisting us. Jesus found that in Peter, right? And he, Peter says, you're not going to go to the cross. You're not going to die. And Jesus had to turn around and literally rebuke him and actually called him the devil. I mean, it was quite, a, quite a, uh, an experience, no doubt, for Peter. Very traumatic. And then there's circumstances, aren't there? There's financial circumstances. There's relational, societal circumstances and things like that that take place that cause us to be resisted. And then thirdly, we found and talked about how resistance is really normal, right? It's just normal, that, that it's just a part of life, and we should not think it's something strange. The back of the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, Be alert and be sober-minded because your enemy is uh, on, the pr- on the prowl. He's on, roaring, going around roaring like a lion looking for someone to devour. So do what? Resist him as he's resisting you. So we have these moments where we're finding ourselves being resisted. You can even be doing good things and come against resistance. We were on a mission trip years ago down in Mexico in the north central area of Mexico. And in that particular area, there's a lot of deserts. And I mean, the desert like, like tumbleweed blowing down, the, the, that kind of stuff. Uh, and no rain out there at all. And literally, the government has trying to get people to move out there. So they convinced them that if you move out to these, this desert area, we'll give you land and we'll help build a well for you. You'll have to drill it, but we'll build the well. But you have to drill it. And, 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 and we just want you to move and it's become your land. So people move out there. And it's literally like going back into time. It's as if you were going on a gun smoke show or movie, you know, where you, or like a Clint Eastwood movie where you ride into town. There's this like little well in the middle of town and these adobe little houses uh, around it with people kind of sitting on, you know, the porch, like kind of look staring at you as you're rolling into town. I mean, seriously, it's like being in a movie, except we're rolling in with vans, right? We got two vans full of wild, crazy young people that love Jesus. And so we roll into these little villages. Everyone's like, what in the world? And we get out with all of our drama and our sound equipment, and we do these skits and dramas, and then we share about Jesus. And, and we would been going to village to village. Usually one or two people come to know Jesus in those times. We were just rejoicing over that. So we've been doing it the last several days. And the young people, they were, <clears throat> how many know young people can get tired pretty quick? They're getting tired. They're hot. They're hungry. They're, we're out in the, this is like uh, dirt roads, washed out dirt roads. And, and it's just really difficult terrain to get to to begin with. All these little villages are about five, six miles apart. And so you take a long time just to even get that far in the dirt washed out roads. And so we go from village to village. Well, we'd been last, as I mentioned, last couple of days and the sun was going down this particular evening. And, and so uh, all the young people were packing up and they were all excited because they knew we were done for the day. No one had told them that. They just assumed it. And so um, as they were packing up, they were all excited about getting back to uh, our base that we were at in a bigger city and getting a shower, getting some food. <clears throat> but I felt, you know, we had worked so hard to get, so, to get there to begin with. 
And there was another village right down the road, another five or six miles. And, and I just felt in my heart, we need to go to that village. And so I just said, pulled the team together and said, guys, here's the deal. Uh, we're going to go to one more village. And you, you just heard the moaning and the groaning. He said, oh, oh, you know, the shoulders, oh, really? You know, and, and, and I'm like, yes, really, we're going to go. But we're tired and we're hungry. Even some of my leaders are like, you know, we've been at her all day, you know. And I'm like, but something inside of me was like, no, we got to do this. These people need Jesus. And, they're, and so we got to go. And so uh, I gave them, you know, a little pep talk, a little spiel. And, and they're like, and I said, no, no, load up. We're going to get in the van. We're going to do this and we're going to have fun. You know, so smile. You know? <laughs> so hey, let's do this. So we got in the van and we heading down the road and we finally get there. And it happened to be at the time now, uh, unlike the other villages where the workers had come out of the field and they're back home. And so the, now the husbands are there and the wives and the children. And so all the village, we set up all of our stuff and now all the villages, there are probably about 100 to 200 people in this little village and they're all there watching our dramas and everything. I taught the youth group to give altar calls, share a testimony, give an altar call, and uh, they become pretty good at it. And, and so uh, I asked this young lady to give uh, her testimony and share, do an altar call. And so she did. She gave her testimony, and she said, now listen, I, I want to tell you that you can know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today too. It's just a matter of a prayer. You can invite him into your heart. She did a great job. So she goes, I said, I just want you, if you want to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we're going to pray with you right where you're at. So would you raise your hand right where you're at? And every single person in the village raised their hand. Children, women, men, everyone like this. And she looked at me and I looked at her and she goes, and I said, say it again. They Say it again. They may be misunderstood, you know. So she said it again, went through the whole thing again. She goes, now listen, I'm serious. This is a commitment of a lifetime. This isn't just one little decision. This is you're turning your life on. She made it very clear. Now, do you want to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Every hand went up. And we literally were able, in that one opportunity, we were able to lead literally an entire village to Jesus in the, in the deserts of Mexico. Right there, right there at that moment. Come on. And that would not have happened had we just stopped because there was resistance. And, and I, I felt even, you know, part of me a little bad because I was pushing them a little maybe harder than there used to be in push. But, but sometimes you have to go forward even though there's resistance and even there are people that you love are resisting you. You got to follow God's voice, God's leadership. His leadership is only the thing that matters in our lives. Amen, church? It's the only thing that matters. And so I'm thankful that God sometimes meets our demands. And so we talked about how David met resistance and it just happened. So let's move on today. Point number four, resistance is often required. Resistance is often required. Why? Why do I need resistance in my life? I was, didn't know this, 
but um, one of our guys here this morning was here second service. He came up to me after service. He goes, JP, I, I work with electricity my whole life. He said, I'll never forget our instructor who was uh, teaching me about electricity. And he made this statement and he reminded me this morning. He said, do you know that you cannot have electricity unless you have resistance? He says, what makes electricity work is resistance. I'm like, whoa, that's powerful. He says, if you don't have resistance, it's just power, that's potential, but it just sits there. And it's the resistance that creates the circuit. I'm like, that is amazing. So resistance is, is important because it strengthens us and it changes us and creates within us this internal fortitude needed to achieve the dream. Look at this, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. King James Version, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. I love it. We're like, in other words, he's saying, when you get resistance, don't think like something's weird. Like, don't, don't get this thought going on like, well, why is this happening? Why, why am I getting resistance? You can't go there because this is part of life. In fact, I like the message version. It says this, friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump up to the conclusion that God's not on the job, but instead be glad that you are in the very thick of what Christ experienced for this is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. Come on. Amen. How many know glory is just around the corner? Amen. Woo! So we need, we, need to, we need this in our life. Some of you have been in an airplane and you got into that metal tube and you looked at it from the outside and thought to yourself, probably as I have, how is this thing going to get up there? And, 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 and yet you get in it anyway, and you sit down, and you fasten your seatbelt, and you listen to the spiel that the airline stewardess may give you, and flight attendants, and then you hear the pilots say, uh, flight attendants clear the deck, and they take their position, and you turn off all your electronics, and the pilot tells you what the weather's going to be, where you get where you're going, how fast you're going to go, and how high you're going to fly, and and how glad he is that you are on the plane with him. And then we get to the runway and we sit there. And then it begins to happen. The roar of the motors begins to fire up. And before you know it, you start creeping down the runway. And you're gaining speed and gaining speed and gaining speed. And you're thinking to yourself, there's not enough runway for this plane to take off. I know I've thought that many times. But then all of a sudden, the speed is gathered to such a degree that he lifts those flaps and suddenly he points that, he points that plane straight up, almost as if you're going to the moon and you're sitting back like this going, whoa, and you're just, your head's pressed to the back of the seat and suddenly, a few minutes later, you're 30,000 feet up in the air, looking out the window, eating a pretzel and drinking a soda pop. And you go, how in the world did that happen? <laughs> Flying at 350 miles an hour, 
through the sky at speeds you can only dream of. Well, here's how it works. When you start those engines up, it, it, it is working really hard against what we call gravity and resistance. A plane's not supposed to fly. It's, so it's working, 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 and it keeps pressing and pressing and pressing and moving forward down the runway until eventually it presses past the resistance and suddenly the resistance turns into what we call lift uh, and the very thing that was hindering it now becomes the very thing that props it up into the air. I'm telling you that God wants us to press through resistance because it's the very thing that will take us to another level. Come on, somebody. It's the very thing that's going to take us to another place in the Lord. I need resistance. I need it in my life because the intent, what the enemy needs tends to break me is what God will use to make me. Come on. It's, it's called resistance. The, the very thing resisting will become the thing that propels and makes and ascends you into another place in the Lord. You need resistance. We also understand, number five, that resistance produces resilience. That's an important word, resilience. You need resilience in your life. Resilience. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you need some resilience. Come on. just You need it in your life. It's important. The word resilient means literally to bounce back, to rebound, to spring back. Um, we used to have this little toy uh, when I was growing up as a little kid. We called it a weeble wobble. Anybody ever remember a weeble wobble? You know what I'm talking about. It's just like a little thin little blow up little piece of plastic type of thing with a little beanie weight on the bottom and, and it had a face of a figure on it and the object was you just go up and you just beat the crud out of this thing and just flop down and come right back up. Hit it and flop back. I'd hit that thing, kick that thing, do the back kick on it. I did all that. I loved the little weeble wobble. But the weeble wobble never stayed down very long. Why? Because it's resilient. And God is calling for a bunch of weeble wobbles in the body of Christ. Come on. <laughs> He's looking for the giants of weeble wobbles to stand up, be resilient, which is us, which is you. A person probably in the Bible that personifies resilience more than anybody would be that of Joseph. Genesis 37 through all the way to 50. It's just nothing but a beautiful story of his life. Many of you have read the story, familiar with that young man's life. So you look at it and you go, wow, what a tragic life in some aspects. And in other aspects, you celebrate. And when he started off good and had some dreams, God speaking to him and his dad loves him so much. And, and yet he made a mistake by sharing his dreams, which is a mistake sometimes you don't want to make of sharing your dream too early with people that don't appreciate it. And he shared his dream with his brothers. His brothers got offended. They they didn't like him for that. In fact, the Bible says that they hated him. They were angry and they hated him. Thought he was a little upstart. Thought that he was, think that he was better than them. And so much did they hate him that one day when Joseph went out to just make sure they were okay, sent on an errand by his father, he went out there and they decided that they were going to do him in. They decided they literally were going to kill him. They killed, kill their younger brother. And Judah stood up and said, hey, let's, instead of killing them, why don't we just make some money off of them instead? These, these guys are coming down to trade over these merchants over in Egypt. Why don't we just sell them to these merchants and send them on our way? Let's make some money. So they decided to do that. That's what they did. So this little brother that they had come out just 
to take care of them, to tend to their needs, to make sure they're okay, is now on his way to a foreign land, to live in a country that he would live for the most of the rest of his life. He would never know their culture, never, he didn't know their culture, didn't know their language, didn't know much about them, and now he's living there. And this, this is a guy that was just really doing well, a fine young man. And now he's in the, in the mess. And, but what he does is, and you find this all throughout Joseph's life, is he take two steps forward, and then there would be this step backwards. And two steps forward, and then a step backwards. And here he is now uh, being sold as a slave to Potiphar. And Potiphar is a, a, a man who's of upstanding importance. He's probably got a lot of wealth. He's the head of the security guards for the nation of Egypt, the largest nation in the world at that time, and most powerful nation. And here's the head of the CIA, you know, and, 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 and here is, uh, is, is Joseph now working for him. And so much of the favor of God rests upon Joseph that over time, Potiphar literally gives him full control of everything in his household or his ranch or his farm. It was up to Joseph to determine you know, how many employees they have and where they were going to be employed. He did probably all the interviews and he, he set up all the, you know, the, 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 the charts of, uh, and, and who's going to work where and the timesheets and who's going to fill out this and go there and when to sell cattle, when to buy cattle, when to shear the sheep and how many sheep they have. And, and the only thing that, that Potiphar cared about, only thing he concerned about was what he had to eat. He didn't care anything about anything else. He said, I'm going to let Joseph do it. He trusted him so much. And then, of course, Potiphar's wife, you know, became, you know, tried to seduce him, and he ran for his life, and then she turned the charge against him, false charge, and now Potiphar is in jail. He went from the top down to the bottom. Now he's in jail. Now, and now we see him again working the leadership role. No doubt he probably went in there as a servant and said to the warden, said, look, hey, Anybody peeling the potatoes around here? I'll peel the potatoes. Anybody, who's, who, do you need someone to wash the latrine, clean the latrine? I'll clean the latrine. I'll mop the floor. Can someone organize? Who's organizing the library? I'll organize the library. I'll distribute. And before long, the Bible says that literally the warden of the prison had turned over all of the responsibilities to this prisoner. That's quite a response. How many know that's quite a trust, right? I'm going to trust my prisoner to run my prison. That's a lot of trust. Here, what's happening? Joseph is learning to be resilient. And God did not forget him. God literally was allowing all this stuff to play out because in every stage of his life, he's learning and gaining some things that he needed in the long run. If he didn't learn it and get it here, he wouldn't be able to fulfill the role that God had for him there. And so, and Joseph got that. I mean, I mean, even though he had a dream and even though he held on to that dream, he, we don't see any record of Joseph getting angry, bitter, upset, and mad. And so Joseph hangs on to God's promises and eventually becomes number two in the nation. The king literally makes him number two, the second most important man, making all the decisions for the entire nation of Egypt. But now that the world is in a famine, People are coming to Egypt for food because they had stored up food ahead of time because of the dreams that Joseph had had years ago. And now he's in a place of authority, and guess who shows up to get some food? The brothers. 
the brothers that had sold him into slavery. And they had no clue. You could have... You could have knocked them over with a feather when they realized that this man they're talking to who's giving them food is their former brother or their brother that they had sold into slavery. In their wildest dreams, they never would have ever thought that they would ever see this man again. And no, no one ever thought that he would be in leadership position in Egypt. And here it is. This is the moment. This is the confrontation. And Joseph exposes himself and reveals to him them who he is. And no doubt they're in fear. They're, they're thinking, this is it. He's going to kill us. Look, oh my goodness. He, he's going to ruin our lives now. He's mad. He's angry. He's upset. It's all over with. God's getting us back for what we've done. And this is the beautiful passage. Chapter 50, verse 20. Joseph says to them, as he sees how they're scared and fearful for their life, he says, stop it, hold on. You intended to harm me, but God, everybody say, but God. But God intended it for good. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You intended in your heart of evil and anger and hatred to do me in. But God overruled you and actually allowed you to fulfill your, your angry desires only to cause your anger to produce something called good, to produce a leader inside of me. God used your backstabbing. God used your gossip. God used your um, vices. God used uh, your lack of commitment. God used your unfaithfulness. God used uh, your um, lack of control to do something inside of me. And I want to say thank you. This is what he said. He goes, now listen, God has used it to, for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So don't be afraid verse 21. I will provide for you. I'm going to provide for you. And listen, 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 Judah, I built a house. I got a house built for you and your family and your kids. And it's going to be a big house. I got a pool beyond. It's in a nice suburb called Goshen over on the other side of our nation. It's got palm trees. It's beautiful weather. You're going to love it. It's got farmland like a, and Gad and Reuben. And you, I got houses for you. I've been preparing this for you. I'm excited for you. I'm, th I'm thankful. I'm thankful that God God used you to put me where I'm at now so now I can turn around and be a blessing back to you. Come on, how many know this is a person who knows that God uses everything for his good? Wow. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. I, I, I don't know who needs to hear this this morning, but we all have people in our past that tried to hurt us. We all do. Some willingly and knowingly and some ignorantly and not knowingly. And they may have attempted to hurt you, or willfully hurt you or unknown. But let me, can I just say, what they meant for evil, God always means for good. So, so, so what do you do with that? Get over it. Forgive them, be done with it, love them, 
pray for them, be kind to them, invite them to the family reunion, invite them over to your house, come on, invite them. Listen, you need to understand that God will use even their anger and meanness to help you be where you need to be. Are you resistant? Are you resilient? Are you able to just bounce back? Thomas Edison, 1914, December. East Orange, uh, New Jersey, excuse me, West Orange, New Jersey. He was at the pinnacle of his career at this time. He's 67 years old. He's invented so many things that the world now, even to this day, uses. He had established an incredible research laboratory along with a manufacturing plant. And he was pumping out inventions left and right and then manufacturing them as they invented them. He had laboratories, he had equipment, nowhere else in the world did he, they have equipment like his. And he was, had paperwork and research and documents and all sorts of things as they've done research over the years of things that they tried and worked on. And he gets, someone tells him, early in the morning, Mr. Edison last night, the factory, the laboratory, the research, Everything has been burnt to the ground. It's all gone. It's all gone. Everything's gone. The records, the equipment, everything. So he went to the laboratory, he went to the, the, the plant, and they said he just started walking around the charred embers of what was his hope and dreams. And he was just quiet, just walking around. No doubt probably picking some things up, looking at them, putting them back down. And then he just stopped. And then he said to his assistant that was next to him, he said, well, there's value in disaster. And his assistant was like, what? Yep, because now... All of our mistakes have been burned up. So let's start afresh. And that's what they did. They started that day building a new research plant and laboratory. 67 years old and you've lost everything. And you can say, man, there's value in this. This is a good thing. This is a good thing. This is a resilient person. A resilient person. Lastly, we're done. Resistance sometimes means redirection. Sometimes people will resist you and you need to kind of put them off to the side. But then there are just a very handful of people, few people, when they perhaps come to you, they're not there necessarily to squash your dreams and your hopes, but they're there to redirect a little bit. But you gotta be careful who those people are. How do you determine who you listen to and who you don't listen to? It's called relational equity. In other words, who in your life have you allowed in that know you and have cried with you and prayed with you and dreamed with you and 
sweated with you and suffered with you and moved with you and sacrificed again with you. These, these people that you have, these few people, these two or three people that you have in your life that have done all these things for you, these people have the right to speak into your life. And when they speak into your life, sometimes it may not be what you wanted to hear, but you need to listen because maybe God is using them to redirect your vision just a little bit. Maybe you're going in the right direction, but it needs to be fine-tuned just a little. And these are the people that you listen to. Now, those that are not sweating with you, those that really don't care, those that are just, you know, Johnny come lately and just want to just say something to you, you know what, just put them on the shelf and just keep on going. That, that's, that's just resistance. Now, sometimes you need to listen to the voice of wisdom. Can somebody say amen? amen. Yeah. So I just want to conclude. Worship team, I want to come on up here as we get ready to close. I want to just say this in closing. That resistance, you know what it does? It produces deep rewards. Resistance produces deep, deep rewards. So my wife and I, uh, as you, many of you know, we were up in Tennessee, and she was going through some treatments and stuff uh, during that time, and, and she's had appointments every day, and, and then on, uh, then one, two days they, she'd have off, and then another five days. And so she said, you know, I have this little, little window of time, um, and we're so close to the Smoky Mountains, it would be a shame not to at least go on a little hike while we're here. I'm like, well, you know, uh, you're kind of going through some stuff. And she goes, but I feel pretty good to that. Why don't, <clears throat> why don't we go on a hike? I'm like, well, I'm all about a hike. That sounds fun to me. And um, so we looked at all the different places to go. We picked a place called Laura Falls um, um, Hiking Trail. And so we get to this little place. I get a little like knapsack type little you know, sack on my back. I put a couple of waters in a granola bar and a couple of bananas and and uh, put on my old sneakers, and we get to the trailhead and said, 4.6 miles, Laura Falls. I'm like, all right, you sure about this? She goes, yeah, we kind of figured the time and how much it long it takes. She still had an appointment that day, but uh, we figured we had enough time to get there and back. So we're heading up there, and we're walking, and, and she's really walking fast. And, and I'm like, okay. And I'm trying to do my best to keep up. And every once in a while, I'd say, hey, why don't we stop and take a picture? Really, just to get a rest. But I'd say, I'd just say that. And uh, so, so we kept walking. And, we, and so I have my, on my phone, I have this little app. You know, it tells you how many steps you took that day and how many miles you walked that day. How many, you know, you probably have that on your phone too. You just don't use it. But anyway, I, I had that on my phone. And I, so I got to about 4.6 miles. And, and I'm not hearing any falls anywhere. I'm not hearing water. I'm not, we get five miles. And I'm still not hearing water. I'm thinking, hmm, I wonder what's going on here. And, and, and so we get about 5.5, 6, we get about 5.2 miles into about 5.3 exact into this thing. Look at my phone and this guy is coming down the mountain. I said, hey, is there waterfalls this way? He goes, oh yeah. You got another 1.9 miles to go. I said, what? I'm already five point something into it, and we got another. I said, well, seriously? So you, are you pulling my chain? He goes, no, I'm serious. Another, and it's kind of steep. But once you get in straight, straight down, when you get to the top of the mountain, so it's like a thousand foot drop down. And, uh, and I'm like, oh my goodness. So we kind of talked about it. We thought, we thought well, we're this far in. Let's go ahead and go for it, right? Let's go for it. You can't, you can't go all this and not see the falls. 
And so, so we just started hoofing it, and we made it to the falls. And, I, and I'm telling you what, my, my legs, my, 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 my feet were sore. I'm starting to get a blister. Uh, my, my legs are aching. Um, I'm starting to tighten up in my calves. And I made it to these falls. And we sat down at those falls, and I've never enjoyed a granola bar so much in my life as I did that day. And that banana was the best banana I've ever had in my life. And we sat down on this little bench. There was one bench there, and, and we could see these young girls about college age come walking up uh, from the other direction to us. And they had these nice little hiking boots on, like the, I mean, literally brand new hiking boots. The reason I know this is because I said, hey, why don't y'all sit down here? And so they sat down. They had this brand new backpacks. I mean, like the professional hiking, you know, backpacks and everything. And they looked like they had just gone to the, you know, to Bass Pro Shop and bought all the hiking gear that they could all. And, and so I'm like, man, these are professional hikers here or something. They're brand. And, and so I said, hey, where'd y'all come from? Where'd y'all been hiking from? Oh, we came from the parking lot about 30 minutes from down the road right there. I said, y'all came from where? They said the parking lot, about, about 30 minutes down the concrete sidewalk to the, to, they've been walking 30 minutes on a concrete that even wheelchair people can get to, to the falls. I come 7.2 miles on the other side of the earth and I'm sitting on this bench and my sneakers are about to get holes in them. My calves are all busted up. My wife's sitting over there, you know, she's got her, you know, stuff she's been going through. And, and I'm sitting next to two girls and they're just like <laughs> looking at the falls and stuff. And, and I said to myself, I didn't say this to them, but I said to myself, they may be looking at the same thing I'm looking at, but they don't appreciate it nearly as much as I do. Come on, somebody. They don't appreciate it like I do. Oh, those are some nice falls. Those are some real nice falls. We took pictures and everything. It was five minutes and five minutes, and my wife said, we got to go, got to go. I'm like, oh, my goodness. And so I don't want to be that, you know, Johnny come, I don't want to be that, that downer, downer guy. So I'm like, okay, okay. You know, and she takes off, and she's like going to town. We go straight up this mountain, to a mile and a half up the street, mountain again, and a thousand feet. And man, I'm telling you what, I'm just like, she's out of sight now. I'm taking breaks, you know, she can't see me. And I'm like, she doesn't stop. She gets to the, I know she's at the top about this time. About two, I'm about, I imagine, two-thirds to the top. And, I, and I'm barely up. My heart's about to come out of my chest. And I'm, and I'm going like one step at a time, just looking straight down. Just I don't want to look up. I just want to look straight. I'm looking straight ahead of me. And I just glanced up. And I, now my wife had black shorts on and a white uh, top on. And so I look and I see black shorts and a white top coming my way. And I'm thinking to myself, she's coming back down the mountain to help me get back up the mountain. And I'm like, that's humiliating. And so I'm like, I'm like, go back. Just go back. I'll be okay. And I'm walking. I'm like, I'm just a weenie. I'm a weenie. I'm a little nobody man. You know, I'm not even a man anymore, you know. And so I keep walking and I glanced up and she's coming back. She's still coming. I said, go back. I said, go back. And, uh, and then next thing you know, she's right on me. I look up and it wasn't my wife. <laughs> I don't know who it was. To this day, I have no idea who it was. I can imagine what she had to tell her family that night, you know. So crazy, man, walking up the mountain telling her to go back. <laughs> I didn't have enough breath to explain the situation. All I said to her, she walked by was, I'm sorry, I'm hallucinating. And I just kept on. 
I kept on walking. <laughs> we literally ran back down the mountain to the other side. We literally ran. I'm not, I'm not kidding. We ran. You know what I'm talking about? I'm, I'm talking about a mountain trail, smoky mountains, and two crazy nut people are running down the mountain. I promise you, no one's ever probably run down that mountain before than we did. But all that to say that in all of that, when you walk through and press through resistance, it creates within you a sense of satisfaction and peace. And in knowing that God is with you, Abraham Lincoln, in 1861, it was a February cold day, he was in Springfield, Illinois. And it was wet and cold and a thousand people had gathered there at the train station. And Abraham Lincoln climbed onto that train and he looked back over the townsfolk there. And he said to them, he said, you know, I'm getting ready to go to the White House now that I've been elected president, but all of you here I've walked with in my life and I've known for more than 25 years. I have family that's buried here and many of you are my friends and I have, you know, loved ones that have died right here in this city. He goes, I, I need to tell you something before I leave. He said, if God gives his presence, I shall not fail because he told him, I may not ever come back. So he told him. He says, our, our nation is in deep trouble and I may not come back. But he said, if God gives his presence, I shall not fail. If God gives his presence, I shall not fail. But if not, if he doesn't give me his presence, I shall fail. I go trusting him who can be with me and stay with you at the same time. Can I tell you that if you have God's presence, whatever resistance you face, you cannot fail. God is going to help you press through and you will become a better person on the other side. And he's got destiny locked up inside of you. Do not lose your dream. Do not drop your vision. Keep hoping, keep believing, keep pressing forward. And God is going to take you through and lift you in the resistance. Can we all stand to our feet this morning? Prayer teams, if you could come stand here at the front. Typically we'd have a tent outside, but all the wind and rain. But if you're here this morning, you need prayer for anything. We just want to pray with you. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, that's the first step, right? It's knowing the Lord as your friend. Knowing God as a friend, that just blows my mind. He wants to be my friend. I want to pray with you this morning, and if you want to know Jesus, we up here in front after service, they'd love to pray with you as well. But would you all bow your heads and let pray with me this morning. Father, thank you for this incredible church. Thank you for these people here that have been given dreams and hopes. 
by you. And Lord, many of us have faced incredible resistance in days gone by and some are in the middle of it now. There's incredible resistance as they continue to move forward one step at a time in what they believe, God, you've told them to do. And so, Lord, I pray that you will use this resistance that they are facing to produce something from the inside. Help them to accomplish the dream and to show them the dream that you have for them if they don't have one. Lord, thank you for these seasons of resistance. We want to be as Joseph and become resilient and pliable and not angry and upset and mean and full of unforgiveness. We just want to be so clean in our hearts and pure. So we say thank you, thank you. Thank you for the resistance. And we're just, we're just going to like praise you through it, man. We're just, we're just going to love you, lift you up, Lord, in the process and looking forward to what you're going to do on the other side. For all this, Lord, we are ever grateful. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, amen. Do you believe that? God's got a dream for you. Come on. Amen. Amen.